elves of hills, brooks, standing lakes and groves, and ye that on the sands with printless foot do chase the ebbing Neptune and do fly him when he comes back, you dim-eye puppets that by moonshine do the green sour ringlets make whereof the you not bites, and you whose pastime is to make midnight mushrooms that rejoice to hear the solemn curfew, by whose aid, weak masters though you be, I have bedemmed the noontide sun, called forth the mutinous winds, and twixt the green sea and the azured vaults that roaring war. To the dread rattling thunder have I given fire, and rifted Jove's stout oak with his own bolt. The strong-based promontory have I made shake, and by the spurs plucked up the pine and cedar. Graves at my command have waked their sleepers, oft and let them forth by my so potent art. But this rough magic I hear abjure. And when I have required some heavenly music, which even now I do, to work mine end upon their senses that this airy charm is for, I'll break my staff, bury it certain fathoms in the earth, and deeper than did ever plummet sound, I'll drown my book. Speak the charm of me. There will come a time on the planet Earth when science and technology will be long forgotten. When wizards will lose the world. This is the Arnamancy Podcast. The world is weirder than we know. Join your host, Reverend Eric, in his diverse array of amazing guests in an exploration of tarot, magic, the occult, and the history of Western esotericism. The Arnamancy Podcast exists thanks to the support of generous listeners like you. Please consider supporting this podcast for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash arnamancy. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to part six. Yes, we're already at part six of this podcast's deep dive into Heinrich Cornelius's amazing work, Three Books of Occult Philosophy. I am your host and guide, Reverend Eric. If you are joining us for the first time and would like to catch up on earlier episodes in the series, you can find them on the podcast's website at arnamancy.com slash agrippa. At this point in our exploration, we have developed a strong idea of Agrippa's world and of some of the basic premises of occult philosophy. We have looked at history, the nature of light and the cosmos, and the mathematical underpinnings of Renaissance magic. Now it is finally time to explore one of the strangest and most exciting elements in occult philosophy. Spirits. Discussion of spirits occurs throughout this enormous work, but if you want some reading to get into before listening to this episode, first, reread Book 2, Chapter 22, which was also heavily featured in our Math and Magic episode, and then read Book 2, Chapters 55 through 57. However, if you really want to get deep into it, just realize that there is talk about spirits throughout all three books of occult philosophy, and we will, uh, we will be bouncing around a little bit. So what is a spirit? Daemons, daimones, angels, demons, 
and intelligences. These are all words that describe spirits. Sometimes they are various categories of spirits. Other times they are a word for spirit in another language. And from time to time, even various gods are referred to as spirits. You will hear all of these words used throughout these episodes. So let's start by examining what exactly a spirit is. There are many different ideas about what they might be, but in Agrippa's time, these spirits were seen as part of the fabric of creation. The magician, hoping to make use of Agrippa's style of magic, would benefit from looking at spirits in this manner. Josh Proto is an astrological magician who has created over 100 astrological talismans, according to traditional sources like the Picatrix and Three Books of Occult Philosophy. I asked him if this was the best way to approach the planetary spirits, according to Agrippa. It's not, not that cut and dry. There's a lot of explanation of, you know, how is, the, how is the universe orchestrated? How is it ordered? And then there are different arbiters of fate. There are different people who, different beings that are in charge of, you know, connecting the material to the divine in these areas. And one of them are the intelligences that command the planets. Uh, the intelligences that are their principles. And so trying to internalize this philosophy and apply it in practice and using these internalized philosophies to guide how I approach ritual is, is I would say, the main, the main use. So the main use is the philosophy within the three books of occult philosophy, which is, I think, a hard thing to necessarily suggest to someone to do because it involves, a, it's not just a it's not just a recipe. It's not just like making cookies. Like it has to change something inside of you. Uh, and that has to be reflected in one's work. In his recent book, Holy Daimon, Frater Acker writes about how the Chaldeans viewed spirits. According to the Chaldeans, each spirit exists in its own right. Furthermore, in their animistic worldview, a distinct spirit existed for every element of creation, every plant, stone, and mineral, every animal or artifact created by humans. Everything that existed came with a spirit attached. Now, this variety of animism has become increasingly familiar to modern occultists, but it can still be difficult to wrap our heads around. However, as modern magicians and practitioners have spent more and more time rediscovering occult philosophy and the Western occult relationship with spirits over the past few decades, there have been many attempts to try to reconcile animism with the post-Enlightenment world. My Life with the Spirits by Lon Milo Duquette is a classic of modern occult literature. As a magician's memoir, it is a strange trip through Duquette's discovery of magic, mysticism, and mystery in the late 20th century. Duquette encounters spirits as a sort of living symbol in the imaginal realm and describes them like this. Symbols on the magical plane are alive, and living things are generally symbols of something. When I see an angel or a magical beast in a dream or vision or scrying session, it is usually a symbolic encounter with a concept concerning a personal or magical issue that is too complex to be expressed or understood through any other medium. When Agrippa discusses the nature of spirits, he visits another favorite source, the Corpus Hermeticum. 
In Book 2, Chapter 56, he starts off by saying that the world, heaven, stars, and elements all have souls and spirits. He ends that particular chapter by quoting from Book 12 of the Corpus Hermeticum, in which Hermes Trismegistus is explaining the pervasive nature of a living intelligence throughout the cosmos. In Clement Solomon's translation, the verse goes like this, Then know, my son, that without exception, everything in the cosmos that is, is moving, whether decreasing or increasing, and that which moves is alive. Every living thing is imbued with a type of intelligence or spirit, but both Agrippa's reasoning and the Corpus Hermeticum state that even the moving heavenly bodies, such as the planets, contain some kind of spirit or soul. Magicians claim to be able to contact these spirits, but how? Back in Book 1, Chapter 45, Occult Philosophy discusses how sight is the perfect sense for interacting with the spiritual imagination. You will recall from our previous episode on divine light and the senses that sight is considered the most pure of senses and therefore the best able to fasten our perception to higher things. Agrippa discusses the use of magical collieries or collyriums, which are ointments applied to the eyes. These collyriums give the ability to see hidden spirits, terrible images, and shadowy demons of the air. He gives two recipes for spirit vision collyriums. The first contains the gall of a man, the eyes of a black cat, and in quotes, certain other things. The second contains the blood of a hoopoe, which is a colorful bird found in Africa and Eurasia, the blood of a bat, and the blood of a male goat. Now, I'm not a medical professional, but I really do not think it is a good idea to rub either of these weird mixtures on your eyes. It sounds to me like a poor way to see the shadowy demons of the air and an excellent way to get pink eye. Luckily, Agrippa also gives a very easy recipe for a scrying mirror. He writes, If you take a steel mirror with the juice of mugwort and fumigate, it makes it possible to see hidden spirits. I'm sure you'll also recall the mirror-related bombshell that Agrippa left us at the end of Book 2, Chapter 23, that I mentioned last episode. Here, he wrote, But those who learn about the power of these figures and bodies can work many wonderful things in natural and geometrical magic. Indeed, especially in mirrors. I have learned how to make these wonderful things and mirrors in which one can see whatever they wish from a long distance. Aside from these brief discussions of questionable collyriums and magic mirrors, there are no explicit instructions for contacting spirits to be found in occult philosophy. If you are interested in learning how to make contact with spirits, however, this is a technique usually referred to as scrying. There are a few other places, some excellent books, where you can look. The first is Drawing Spirits into Crystals, supposedly written by Johannes Trithemius. The second is the fourth book of occult philosophy, which is probably not actually written by Agrippa. 
And the most modern source is Seven Spheres by Rufus Opus. I will include links to all of these resources in the show notes. Drawing spirits into crystals in particular has become increasingly popular these days. And my good friend Sam Block, who runs the Digital Ambler, has an amazing series of blog posts talking about adapting drawing spirits into crystals into modern work. So I'll also include a link to that. Okay, let's talk about planetary spirits now. A lot of the magic in occult philosophy deals with planetary spirits, so they really deserve a good close look. Occult philosophy presents us with many, many different names for these spirits. The first set we are given are the archangels associated with the planets. In Book 2, Chapter 10, called Of Seven and Its Scale. If you've been around ceremonial magic for long, these names are going to be familiar to you. Saturn is associated with the archangel Tzafkiel, Jupiter with Zadkiel, Mars with Kamael, the Sun with Raphael, Venus with Haniel, Mercury with Michael, and the Moon with Gabriel. However, there are many, many more names and spirits associated with the planets. In fact, in Book 2, Chapter 58, Agrippa acknowledges this. He writes, I guess I just said this, There are very many and diverse names for celestial souls according to the various powers and virtues in these inferiors, from which many various names are assigned, which the ancients used in their hymns and invocations. There is a great list of names in that chapter and chapter 59, but for this episode, we are going to go back to the list in chapter 22. We spent a lot of time talking about chapter 22 in the last episode on math and magic, but we didn't get into the part that so many talisman makers and planetary magicians find the most interesting, planetary spirit names. In this chapter, each planet is assigned a spirit and an intelligence, Agrippa instructs us that the intelligence is for good and the spirit is for evil, but he doesn't really explain what that means. My feeling on this is that good in this sense is theurgic magic or magic that seeks to ascend and, and grow the spirit or reach back towards the source, while the evil side would be for thaumaturgic operations or wonder working in the world. The names of these spirits for the first six planets. Saturn has the spirit Zazel and the intelligence Agiel. Jupiter has the spirit Hismael and the intelligence Yophiel. Mars is Bartzabel and Graphiel. The sun has Sorat and Nachiel. Venus has Kedemel and Hagiel. Mercury has Taf Tartarat and Tyriel. The moon has a different sort of setup. It does have a spirit named Chasmodai and has a spirit of spirits named Shedbar Shehemot Shartatan and an intelligence of intelligences. Malka betashitim ad beruach shechakim. This is sort of an interesting 
set of attributions for the moon. As we will probably learn later, uh, the moon ends up being kind of like the gateway for communication with the spirit world. So both the intelligence of intelligences and the spirit of spirits might be tools for contacting higher intelligences and higher spirits. So in the pages following, we see the magic squares for each of the planets, along with the sigils or seals or characters for each of the planets, their intelligences, and their spirits. Many of these seals are actually made using the planetary squares, showing possibly the most significant way for sigils of planetary spirits to be created. Now at last, we come to the collection of planetary spirits that has been of most interest to me for a long time. The planetary intelligences. Now I listed them earlier, and we can find them plainly laid out in Book 2, Chapter 22, along with all of the other planetary spirits. When I first encountered occult philosophy two decades ago, I was struck by the name planetary intelligence. What is an intelligence in this context? What are the planetary intelligences, and where do they come from? Agrippa uses the word intelligence in ways where it seems like there might be a consistent definition, so he does give us a few clues. First of all, in Book 1, Chapter 13, he says, Indeed, God is the primary beginning and end of all virtues. His attendants, the intelligences, administer the seal of the ideas who, as faithful executors, seal each thing they believe to be an ideal virtue. Book 2 gives us a few more clues. In Chapter 6, Agrippa indicates that the intelligences exist in the intellectual world, which is higher than the celestial world. Does this mean that the intelligences are planetary spirits above the planetary spheres? In that chapter, Agrippa writes, Through three cubes or solids are distributed three things producing nine. That is, the super-celestial ordered into nine intelligences, the celestial into nine orbs, the inferiors into nine kinds of generables and corruptibles. And also, in the intelligences, there are three hierarchies of angelic spirits. This placement of intelligences above the other types of spirits is backed up in chapter 8 of 5 and its scale, where in the table you can see spirits of the second hierarchy called intelligences, and they are ranked above angels and below gods. If we skip ahead to book 3, we find even more clues. First, there are intelligences listed for the ten sephirot of the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. Some of the names given in this list are familiar to those who have studied the lists of archangels assigned to the sephirot, but this doesn't do much to clear up the issue. And then finally, in Book 3, Chapter 16, occult philosophy provides what may be the clearest definition of intelligences when Agrippa writes, An intelligence is an intelligible substance that is entirely free from the dense and putrefying mass of a body. 
immortal, insensible, defending everything. This is the nature of all intelligences, spirits, and daemons. Agrippa also explains that celestial intelligences preside over the heavens, but remain close, receiving the divine light from the super-celestial intelligences that live around the one God. Untangling all of this remains a head-scratcher for me, so I turn to Josh Proto again to get some answers. What are the planetary intelligences, and where did they come from? There is uh, a book by Trithemius, which was translated and published by William Lilly in 1647. Um, Trithemius, I think, wrote uh, De Septim Secundes in 1508. And, you know, I think it's dedicated to Emperor Maximilian. And he says, uh, Renowned Caesar, it is the opinion of very many of the ancients that the inferior world, by ordination of the first intellect, which is referring to God in this way, is directed and ordered by uh, secundane intelligences, to which opinion, uh, a sense saying that they are the original or the first beginnings of the heavens of the earth. Uh, there were seven spirits appointed as presidents to the seven planets. So there is this idea that the there are intelligences that are uh, the presidents of the seven planets overseeing them. And if you look further back, there is a... I think you could refer to him as a theologian. Sulo Dionysus wrote a series of philosophical treaties, and I think there's some debate about when they were originally published, but some people will say around like 430 uh, current era. And there's one like literally called, I think, Celestial Hierarchy or On the Celestial Hierarchy. And that's where he gives this metaphor of one can think of the celestial world is ordered like a ladder. At the very top, there is the divinity, God. And at the very bottom, there is matter. And we will refer to angels as sort of like the lowest rung of the spirits on this ladder. There's this chain of order. This is echoed again in sort of Elizabethan England, like this, this idea of the golden chain. In, insert favorite alchemical as above, so below. And there's, there's giving you some dance steps of why this exists. And so this cosmology is something that it seems that, you know, Agrippa is remembering or even referencing to in his, uh, in his work. Or he is sort of taking it for granted that the reader here would also be very, very, you know, well, well read or exposed to this cosmology that Pseudo-Dionysus is, uh, is writing very extensively about. So perhaps... The planetary intelligences date back to the writings of Pseudo-Dionysius, but they are still mentioned rarely in other works. However, after their publication in occult philosophy, they did not remain unknown. In Sloan Manuscript 3821, written sometime after 1570, we find rituals for the conjuration of the planetary intelligences using the same names and seals given by Agrippa. Josh has put together a group of planetary magicians to explore these conjurations and make contact with the planetary intelligences using astrological in elections and invocations intended to make the spirit immediately forthwith appear visibly here before us in this crystal stone or glass receptacle, according to that manuscript. 
Though the group's ambitious project of conjuring and working with each of the planetary intelligences is not yet complete, they have already begun discovering something interesting about this different class of planetary spirits. It's very clear that the experiences that are going on in our group uh, are very unique to the kinds of entities that we're trying to uh, that we're trying to petition. They're very different. Unex it's unexpected the relationships that we're having. Uh, unexpected the relationships, results, uh, and characteristics that we're experiencing working with these entities, um, sort of across the board from our expectations or how we would think it would be. I think that it was very clear in the first. Uh, first one that we did we collectively uh were working with and conjuring the uh planetary intelligence of saturn and you know i went through a whole whole thing of you know parachute protocols if, if stuff hits the fan like what do we do like you know the greater malefic saturn you know ghouls and clowns and zombies these are all things ruled by uh ruled by saturn you know we have to be prepared for anything and you know we did the conjuration and everyone independently had this experience of it's like, hey, planetary intelligence of Saturn seems like a really cool guy. Like, wow, they were really open and interested to like talk to you and, uh, you know, giving advice and giving wisdom and wasn't very harsh. People didn't feel freaked out or creepy. There's, you know, no secret health problems developing uh, in, in anyone. It was, it was very much contrary to the expectations. That was very, very surprising. And what has Josh and his group discovered about the nature of these planetary intelligences. Yeah, and then I, I'd shopped this experience around with some of my other friends and colleagues, and, and, and someone gave me a piece of advice where it was like, you know, sometimes the planetary intelligences, you know, they're described as, as super celestial, or they're described as they're the, the principles of the seven planets. They're, they're the bosses of the seven planets. They have to motivate the planetary energies to move the way they're supposed to. So if you try to, you know, from like a you know, individual anthropomorphic human side, communication side, you know, how do you motivate a bunch of sad, creepy, malefic spirits to do certain things? Maybe you have to be a bit more, maybe you have like an optimistic attitude in order to, in order to do that, uh, especially if you're doing it for until the end of time. So it's, it's an interesting sort of, uh, it's an interesting perspective uh, that I have, you know, taken forward as I've conjured some of the other ones and tried to think about it in that way. They're, they're, they're the bosses in charge. They're the ones that have to motivate and make sure that the planetary spirits are acting the right way. So how does that influence the temperament that they have? All right. Thanks for coming along with me on this ride where we talk about the planetary spirits and intelligences. I know that we haven't really reached a lot of conclusions and come to a lot of final answers, but we have opened up a lot of questions and hopefully this is good material for you to explore in your adventure with a grip as a cult philosophy in our next episode we will be continuing on this vein a little bit we will be exploring the astrology of occult philosophy especially how it relates to planetary magic Many thanks to Coleman Stevenson of The Dark Exact for her commanding recitation of Prospero from Shakespeare's The Tempest. My thanks also go out to Josh Proto and his group of intrepid celestial explorers whose work with planetary intelligences will hopefully inform future generations of magicians and practitioners. As always, for a full list of credits, please see the show notes. This series of episodes about occult philosophy will most likely last until summer. 
My Patreon supporters will be receiving each episode a week before the rest of the world, along with bonus materials such as full interviews, a glimpse at works in progress, and the opportunity to suggest further topics for this Agrippa deep dive. If you enjoy these episodes and want to help support their development, you can help out by sharing this podcast with a friend. Let your weird wizard buddies and witch pals know that we are on this journey, and please invite them to join us. And if you want to contribute monetarily, which I would greatly appreciate, you can always go to arnamancy.com support and find a number of options. Until next time, my friends, keep reading books, keep being weird, and keep doing magic. This has been another episode of the Arnamancy Podcast. Thank you for joining me. I have been your host, Reverend Eric. You can find Arnamancy online at arnamancy.com, and you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting the Arnamancy Project for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash arnamancy. Vanessa Irena, and I'm really excited to announce my new store, Sword and Scythe, where I'll be offering magical art, materia, and services beneath Mars and Saturn. You can visit the store at swordandscythe.com and be sure to sign up for the email list to receive early access to new releases.